Man, it's great to worship with you this morning. What a privilege to get to, um, to have this moment together to lift high the name of Christ on this day of all days. And uh, for those of you that are visiting family or just uh, you're in the area and you're making this a part of your Christmas celebration, thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, if this is the only moment I see your face today, we love you. Hope you walk with Christ and have a rich and wonderful Christmas. And uh, if I see you again this evening at four, I will not be disappointed. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful evening of worship together. Hope you'll come back to join us then as well. If you have your Bible with you, would you go ahead and open up to the book of Luke? And we're going to be in Luke chapter two. And if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find Luke chapter two on page 910. At least the section we're going to study is on page 910. While you're turning there, real quick housekeeping matter. So if you came in a little bit later this morning, you might not know that we had a fire alarm about 10 till 9. Really exciting. Uh, a leak in the uh, sprinkler system and everything was fine. No big deal. But just uh, it's, it's a good opportunity to reiterate. When the fire alarm goes off, uh, get out of the building. And if you have children down in the children's area, do not go down to get them. They have a, a, an escape plan. They will be taken to the back of the parking lot. There's some dumpsters behind a fence back there. That's the gathering place. So your quickest route to your children, out the building and to the back of the parking lot. That's most helpful for us. So thanks for helping with that. And uh, if the alarm goes off in the middle of my sermon, I know what that means. I'll be deeply offended. But... Uh, We'll make it work. So Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Great stories are meant to be told, and Christmas time is a time for good storytelling. When you get together with your people, you might rehearse the family lore, those stories that are always there on the surface and fun to tell when you get together. I've got a story like that. I've got a Christmas story that gets told a lot. Uh, several years ago, my family, extended family, got together with our dad for Christmas, and he handed me a gift, and this gift was, it was long, it was cylindrical, I opened it up, and it was a golf club, it was a putter, and not just any putter, it's a very old putter with a wooden shaft, and that putter had been around our home ever since I was a baby, my dad had had this putter forever and ever. And so I was a little surprised because the putter was not particularly valuable. It was not, to my knowledge, particularly sentimental. Uh, and yet here it was being given to me as a gift. And uh, then my dad began a speech. And he said, Cody, I, so-and-so gave me this club years ago when I started playing golf. It's always meant a lot to me. I know we haven't used it a lot, but it's just been symbolic of this moment in time and uh, has always spoken hope and encouragement to me. And so now I, I want to give it to you so that you can have this. And out of the corner of my eye, my three brothers, Neanderthals that they are, uh, red-faced, holding back laughs. And I thought, these gorillas are going to hurt our dad's feelings. He's trying to have this moment and they're just being dorks for lack of a better word, on Christmas Eve Sunday church. That's what they're being. And so I, I'm going to rescue this moment. And I said, Dad, thanks so much. I had no idea this meant so much to you. And uh, it means a lot to me that you would give this to me. And then my dad started to laugh. 
And he doubled over, bawling, laughing, tears coming down his face. My stupid brothers, ugly brothers, smelly brothers, they also began to laugh. And then I realized I was the only one who was not in on whatever this joke was. I was the one on the outside. And uh, then it just begins to dawn on me what the joke is. The joke is my dad's sentimentality. That's a joke that I would think my dad was being sentimental with me. And then I was deeply hurt, and they all laughed. And I told my wife, I want to be emancipated from this family. And she said, you're in your 30s. You're already free. I said, it doesn't matter. Filing paperwork. We're out of here. Whatever. So that story gets told. Much to my chagrin, and uh, I love it. It's a great story. You've got stories you have to tell this Christmas time, and if all the stories we have to tell at Christmas, here's the story we've got to tell. We've got to tell the story of Jesus, and I'm going to ask you to make a commitment today. Nothing fluffy on Christmas Eve Sunday. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. I want you to commit to tell the story of Jesus sometime in this next week, and Audience may vary. We'll talk about audiences in a little bit, possible audiences. But I want you to make a commitment today that you will talk about the story of Jesus with someone. And our teacher, our motivator in our storytelling today is a master storyteller herself. It's a powerful woman of faith named Anna. Here's the setting for Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Last week, we studied the first part of this scene when we focused on a man named Simeon. Simeon was very old. He had a promise from God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. And on this one particular day, when Mary and Joseph brought their infant child, the Christ child, to the temple to offer sacrifices that were customary for them, The Holy Spirit led Simeon into the temple. Simeon saw the Holy Family. He takes the baby in his hands and he prays God for the baby. That's the first part of the scene. At the same time that this is going on, here is this woman, Anna, who we're going to put our attention on this morning. And while Simeon is holding the infant Christ and talking to his parents, Anna is also there. She is praising God and she is talking to people in the crowd around them about this baby. Anna is telling the story about this baby. And she exemplifies for us who we should be at Christmas time, storytellers of Christ. So my goal today in preaching this passage is to turn you into a Christmas storyteller. And our passage gives us three reasons to tell the story of Christ's birth. Who is he? I'm going to motivate you in three different ways this morning. So follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 36. So remember, Simeon is having this interaction with the Holy Family. He has spoken this praise over the child. And verse 36 picks up the scene. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Why should you tell the story of Jesus this Christmas? This very short paragraph, very short story, gives us three reasons for you and I to be storytellers. Let me share with you the first one. The first reason we got to be storytellers this Christmas is because this story is trustworthy. 
The story's trustworthy. It's true. It's the right story to be told, not just because it's seasonally appropriate, but because this is the truth, the narrative that encompasses all mankind for all time. And so we've got to tell the story. And why should Anna hold a place of importance in motivating us to tell this story? What is it about her that makes her an expert on the Jesus stuff? Well, the bulk of this paragraph is a rehearsal of her resume. It is an argument for why she is believable as she, as she talks about the child and his role in the redemption of Israel. This is Anna's resume on display. Let's go through her qualifications real quick. First of all, we're told in verse 36, she's a prophetess. And as a prophetess, her role is to speak the words of God to the people of God. A prophet's role is not fortune-telling. It's not seeing the future and talking about that. The, the prophet's role throughout the Bible is much more present tense. For sure, there are times when prophets speak about days to come. That's true. But more often than not, their focus is on the here and now. And their message is a hard message. Here's what's wrong with God's people, but here's what's right about God. You've got to come back to Him. The prophet's role is to call God's people to repent and return back to God. So to say she's a prophetess is to say she has this role among God's people. She is speaking the words of God to the people of God. But the single defining characteristic of any prophet is that they are endowed with the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit rests on them. That's how Simeon was described to us in the previous paragraph that we studied last week. In verse 25, we're told explicitly the Holy Spirit was on him. He isn't called a prophet, but he is described as such. And in that same way, we know that Anna, who is called a prophetess, is a prophetess because God the Holy Spirit is on her. So she's a prophetess on whom the Holy Spirit rests, not just some batty old woman in the temple. She speaks for God by the Spirit of God. She's a woman to be listened to. Second thing we're told about Anna is her heritage. We're told that she is a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. We know almost nothing about her dad, Phanuel. It's possible that he owned a building that was a large gathering place for commerce in the community. The building would have been called Faneuil Hall. Thank you very much. <laughs> Got it. I've been sitting on that for three weeks. <laughs> All right. All my dads, I'll take you the knuckles. All right. Totally made that up. We know nothing about her dad, Faneuil. Nothing at all. Uh, and we don't really know the huge importance of the identity of her tribe, the tribe of Asher. That's one of Israel's 12 tribes. But here's what we think this does. Identifying her dad, Phanuel, her tribe, tribe of Asher, it locates Anna squarely within the nation of Israel. It's a way of saying she is a true Israelite. She's a prophetess. She's an Israelite. Uh, third thing we're told about her is she's old. And this adds to her credibility. And now, there's a difference in the way different translations make sense of, of the description of her age. The original language there can be a little confusing, and so uh, translators do their best to figure it out. Whatever your translation says there, here's the point. She's old. 
She is super old. She's at least in her 80s. And 80s in Bible days, that's super old. Super, super old. That's fresh and young today, but Bible days 80, old. And uh, her age gives her credibility. She's a woman of stature. She's a woman of wisdom. She's a woman of days. And so she's a woman to be listened to. There is something special and powerful and believable about senior adults who are serious about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're never too old for the Great Commission. So Anna's a prophetess. She's an Israelite. She's aged. We're also told about her devotion to God. In verse 37, she did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. She's devout. She's righteous. She's not a hypocrite. Her faith is not a play. She's the real deal inside and out. She is God's woman speaking God's message. There's one last detail that we should pick up on that adds to her credibility in this story. It's not articulated specifically, but here's the detail. She is the second witness to testify publicly to the importance of this baby. Simeon is the first witness. Anna is the second witness. In the Bible, two witnesses are necessary for a claim to be credible. Simeon is certainly credible on his own, in his own way, but with Anna, their combined testimony is ironclad. So when Anna praises God and talks about this baby's role in the redemption of Israel, she is to be believed. What she says about Jesus is trustworthy. It's true. It's correct. It still is today. It wasn't just true on that day. Now, there's any number of ways that people try to talk down the story of Christ's incarnation and his purpose to save. Some people might moralize the story, taking certain details out and just making it about general positive lessons. And some people might culturalize the story, meaning they're going to look at it through the lens of this cultural moment. And so our cultural moment will add the meaning and intent to the story. And other people might just discredit it altogether as ancient nonsense that has no bearing on our very modern and electric car lives. That's fine, whatever. But Luke wants you to know that this story is true. This story is correct. It's believable. It's been given to us by a trustworthy witness. It's been validated by those who are authorized to validate it. There's no need to rewrite the narrative or to blush at the details. This incredible story is true in the telling. Anna's message was believed not just by her or those in attendance, but by the church to come. And we see echoes of Anna in the words of the Apostle Paul, who in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 said, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why would you be a storyteller at Christmas? Because it's true. It's the right story. It's the story that makes sense of everything, explains where we've been and where we're going. This is the story that encompasses all mankind, every person on planet Earth. It's the story that every ear has to hear, and it's the story that you are commissioned to tell. It's a trustworthy story. You've got to tell it at Christmas. There's a second reason for you to be a storyteller at Christmas time. That's because this story is praiseworthy. This is a story that evokes praise, and in the praise of God is the vehicle of the story. 
So in verse 38, we're told that Anna does two things. She praises God and she tells other people there about the baby. So let's focus first on her praise of God in verse 38. We're told at that very moment she came up and began to thank God. That time stamp is really important from Luke. At that very moment. What moment? I think it's the moment when Simeon takes the baby and he's praising God and he's engaging the parents. At that very moment, Anna also begins to thank God. So in verse 28, Luke says that Simeon praised God. In verse 38, he says Anna thanked God. One is praising God, one is thanking God. Praise is admiration for who God is and what he's done. Thanksgiving is gratitude for who God is and what he's done. And so between Simeon and Anna, we have this fully orbed praise of God, both admiration and gratitude on display. In every scene related to the birth of Jesus, we find people praising God. In just about every scene, I think of one exception, and that's the scene in Matthew's gospel with King Herod and the wise men in Herod's court. Not a lot of praise going on, fake praise, um, but other than that one scene, praise is everywhere in the story of the birth of Christ. Zechariah and Elizabeth praise God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, praise God. The shepherds praise God. The angels who talk to the shepherds praise God. The wise men from the east praise God. Simeon praised God and Anna praised God. So how do you think we should respond to the incarnation of Christ? I think we should respond with a little bit of praise like everyone else in the story does as well. Now, we talked about praise last week in Simeon's story. The Sunday before that, when we closed out Joshua chapter 12, we focused on praise that day. And so you might be thinking, it's a lot of praise. Cody, when are we going to get past talking about praise? When we get it right, that's when we'll start, talk, start, start talking about it. Like, praise has to be for us not just a doctrine that we affirm. It has to be a practice that permeates our lives. South Shore Baptist Church, we've got to be a church that praises God, not just in our gathering, but especially in our going. We've got to be people who are serious about the practice of the praise of God. And it should not be lost on any of us that we are encouraged to praise God by Anna, a woman well acquainted with grief. She had buried her husband, been single ever since then. She was spiritually burdened for Israel, praying and fasting day and night, carrying this spiritual burden. She's a woman well acquainted with grief, and yet when Christ came, she erupted in praise. And so you have to be a person of praise. And that praise is going to motivate the telling of the story. It might be the vehicle in which you tell the story. Here's what I mean. I'll give you a couple of ways that you might inject praise into your storytelling. One is this. Someone inevitably in the next week is going to ask you this. How are you doing? And how do we normally answer that question? A fatigue report in a sinus report. Oh, I'm kind of tired. Been a busy week. A lot going on. Got a little nasal drip happening. But you know, making it through. I'm, I'm a warrior. We're going to be okay. And what have you just communicated there? Nothing of value. You've just done what's culturally, what, what culturally we've said is appropriate and acceptable to fill the gap of silence with some answer to the question. 
but you've given no real actionable information. Here's an alternative. How are you doing? And you might say, oh man, God's been so good to me. I've got so much to thank him for. And especially at Christmas time, are you kidding me? This is just, I've been thinking about Christ and his incarnation and his love to me and his strength and his healing and all that he's done and then the hope of heaven to come. Man, I'm, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Now, your response to me is this. That's weird. What a weird way to answer. They didn't ask for all that. They don't want that. They just want to know. They're just saying words, making noise. What's weird is that we would think that kind of answer is weird. If we really believe the gospel, we really believe that Christ came and he's coming again, then why would we not articulate this praise more often, more frequently? And in doing so, that praise of God becomes a vehicle of telling the story and inviting someone else to either consider those things internally or to engage in conversation. But maybe you should think about answering the question that way so that your praise of God is a vehicle for telling the story. Here's another way you might handle praise this Christmas time. Rather than thinking about an audience outside of yourself, you might think about yourself as the audience who needs to hear this story and practice this praise. You could be the one. It's you. And so here's my encouragement. Tomorrow morning, I would challenge you to wake up with praise on your lips. And don't leave that to chance. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to do that and then just hope it happens. But here's a real practical way you can make that happen. Before you go to sleep tonight, open up your Bible to Luke chapter 1. I want you to mark those pages uh, mark that page and sit your Bible on your bedside table. And then when you wake up in the morning, grab your Bible and let the words of Mary give you words of praise to start your day. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Oh, you cannot read Mary's song and not just be pumped up and strengthened in the Lord for what's going to happen. Maybe you need to be the one to hear the story and to praise God. I understand all the complications of this season with our emotions, but I want to remind you again that the praise of God is not the privilege of the unafflicted. The Bible teaches us over and over that the praise of God is strength and comfort for his hurting children. And this Christmas, we have to be people like Anna. We need to be people of praise. This story is trustworthy. This story is praiseworthy. Third and final reason for you to be a storyteller is this story has an audience. It has a waiting audience, people who want to hear this story, who need to hear this story. Luke makes that clear to us at the end of verse 38. He says that Anna praised God, she thanked God, and also she began to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is shorthand for God's people. She began to speak about him to those who were looking forward to the redemption of God's people. Who is the him in verse 38? I think, I would argue that Luke is pointing to the infant Christ. She began to talk about him the same way Simeon is talking about him to the people who are around, to the parents as well. She began to talk about him, the child, to everyone in the crowd around them who's looking forward to the redemption 
of Jerusalem. Now think about Anna's audience. Luke identifies the audience for us. He doesn't just say it's the crowd. He says specifically it's all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What does that tell us about the people who hear the story from Anna on this day? It tells us that these people recognize that there's something wrong in the world. There's something wrong with mankind. And they believed the prophets of old who said that God the Father would one day send His anointed one to set all things right. So there are people in the temple that day just going about their business who recognize something's wrong. It's got to be fixed. God's got to do it somehow. And when they hear Anna's good news, the good news pierces their hearts. This is what you've been waiting for. This is the one. This is the Redeemer of Israel. And I have to believe that just as Anna found a waiting audience on that day, you'll find the same everywhere around you in this world. There are people all around us who recognize the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of their lives. And they've tried everything they can to try and find hope, to find satisfaction, to manufacture peace. All of it lost, none of it fulfilling, until one day they hear from you of the Redeemer of Israel. How can they believe if they have not heard? You've got to tell this story because there is an audience who is waiting to hear it. And so perhaps this Christmas is a time for you to have some direct and compassionate conversations with some people in your life. You might be gathering with people today, tomorrow, sometime in the week ahead, uh, or on the phone with people in the week ahead, and that might be a great opportunity to ask them what their thoughts are about Jesus or to engage them with conversations about hope and salvation in Christ. To remind them that they're loved by Jesus and they'll find hope in life and joy when they give their lives to Him. It might be time to share that story. Maybe you're not on the, the sharing end of that story. Maybe your position today is you need to be on the hearing end of that story. Maybe you are a Christmas observer, but you are not a Christ follower. Can I talk to you for just a moment? Look, I don't know if you know this, but you need a Redeemer. You, you might not know that, you, you, but you might know enough to articulate, man, something's messed up, something's messed up in me, something's messed up in this world, and you've done all you can, tried everything you can to try and get things better, but you need a Redeemer to set things right. A Redeemer is someone who's entrusted with securing a person's release from oppression, harm, evil, enslavement, or just some other binding obligation. And a Redeemer restores the lost rights and freedoms of another person by avenging any wrongs and by paying whatever price is required to set that person free. A redeemer is a liberator, a restorer, a rescuer, and the role of redeemer is uniquely assigned to Jesus Christ who rescues us from the domain of darkness and brings us into God's kingdom of light. Throughout the Bible, Jesus is pointed to as the one and only Redeemer of humanity. Even though our sins have separated us from God, we have rebelled, we have pushed Him away, we have chased after other gods. We have had religion without true faith and trust in Him. 
even though that's what we have done, he loves us. He loves sinners. And his love for us is seen in that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin. The death that we deserve, Jesus died on the cross. Perfect, sinless, the only sacrifice of God for our sin. Born of a virgin, which tells us he is fully God and fully man. And I don't know how that math maths, but it does. And it tells us that being fully human, he's really born and really died. And being fully God, his death is the only one that would bring salvation to those who believe. Three days after he died, he rose from the dead. And his promise to you is that if you will turn from your sin, your brokenness, your mess, and even the things that you think are to your credit, and if you will turn to him in faith, you'll be redeemed, liberated, rescued, forgiven, loved, given hope. All this will be yours in Jesus Christ. If you give your life to Christ today, you'll have a redeemer. You'll be freed from your bondage to sin, and you'll have a story to tell others about Christ's incredible love for you. You're the audience, and all around us is a waiting audience to hear this story. Why should you tell the story of Jesus to other people at Christmas time? Three reasons why from Anna. First of all, the story of Jesus' birth is trustworthy, it's praiseworthy, and it has a waiting audience. So the question to you is, will you tell this story? That's a commitment I'm asking for you uh, today. Will you commit to tell the story about Jesus? Will you be intentional? Look, I'm not saying be open to an opportunity. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you make the opportunity. You create the opportunity in the leading of the Holy Spirit. You create the opportunity. Open the door. Create the conversation to talk about Jesus. There are a number of potential audiences that you might tell this story to. Let me give you a few options. Maybe, maybe you need to be intentional about sharing this story with your family. And so at some point you're going to be gathered around a table or waiting to pass out presents or I don't know what you do. But there might be a moment in that routine where you can hit the pause button and read the Christmas story together. Maybe that's already a tradition you have. I hope it is. But you read the Christmas story together and you sit in this glorious story. Let Luke be the storyteller. Let Matthew be the storyteller. Let John be the storyteller. But you get the story in the ears of your family. There's another possible audience. Maybe the audience that needs to hear this story is you. It's yourself. Maybe you need to tell yourself this story again. Your faith has faced challenges. You're in a season of hurt or struggle. Maybe what you do is you sit with the story again and you treasure these things in your heart. You are a worthy audience to hear the story. Another possible story might be that person in your life who needs Christ as their redeemer. And so maybe you pray specifically, God, give me the window, give me the courage, give me the strength and let God, the Holy Spirit, guide you in that conversation just as he guided Simeon and Anna and everyone else on that day. He is still at work. He is your guide now. He will guide you in that conversation. There are lots of maybes, lots of possible audiences, but this one thing is sure. You are the storyteller, and you have a story to tell. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for this story that has changed our lives by faith. Not a story like a myth, not a story that's fiction, but the story that is the truest of all things. The story that defines and explains life, helps us understand where we've been and where we're going. And God, somehow, somewhere, you saw fit to put a storyteller in the lives of believers who are here today. And they heard that story and they believed. By your grace, your compassion, and your mercy, you made it happen. We praise you for that. And so, Father, help us to reciprocate, to be those same kinds of people who tell the story with gladness, with praise, with thanksgiving, with adoration, with boldness, with compassion for those who will be hearing. Help us to be sly as serpents, but harmless as doves in the telling. Help us to be confident that God, the Holy Spirit, you are with us in the telling, and you are with those who will be hearing. God, I pray this Christmas we would exalt Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, died on the cross, rose three days later, and is coming again. We long for that day. Bring new life, redemption to the one today who would turn from their sin and turn to you. Father, capture them this morning by their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.